head over to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook. We're a collective of independent creators with the perfect gifts for the holidays. We have movies, music, comics, art, podcasts, wrestling, and crafts. Head to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook, where the perfect gift can be found for just about anybody. Episode of Moose's Monster Mash. I'm your host, Moose. I have with me today a, you know, actually it's quite a legend in the horror industry. From subspecies, Terror Vision, and many others, I it's my honor and privilege to give to you, Mr. Ted Nicolau. Hey Moose, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How's how's life treating you? How's everything going? Ah, uh, things are uh, pretty pandemic as usual. Um, basically, uh, kind of reduced to getting up, making coffee, walking the dog, uh, cleaning house, writing a little bit, writing a little bit more, uh, playing guitar, watching TV, and doing it all over again every freaking day but my family's safe i'm happy we're doing okay we live in california so the weather's nice so i don't have that much to complain about okay and i'm, I'm, I'm going to start with an off the wall question here you're what's up with the, the porn star picture on facebook what's the porn star is that me and the and the tiger yeah i mean you have like this porn star stash it's like this quintessential <laughs> 70s porn star just chilling with a tiger it's like the it's either the cover of like a cheesy porn or like it's a headshot for uh you're going out for like a 70s rock band (laughs) well you know what that was taken in 1977 when i first came to los angeles uh my first job here was on a movie called Roar that's been called like one of the most what the fuck movies that ever existed. <laughs> uh, a movie that featured Tippi Hedren and Melanie Griffith and a hundred untrained lions and tigers. Uh, the, uh, the porn stash and haircut was basically my own doing because back in those days, you sort of cut your own hair. Uh, the uh, photograph with the tiger was our Christmas bonus that year. Uh, we really wanted $50 or something, but we got these photographs. And now the photographs are really treasured items on my wall. That well, definitely lasts longer than 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure, man. <laughs> I mean, at the time, 50 bucks would have uh, worked out better, but... 50 bucks was very useful back then, but, uh, but you know what, uh, having photographs of you and your wife with tigers, uh, is even better, you know? Yeah. I mean, it definitely worth the memories. Yeah. Yeah. So what got you into like filmmaking and stuff? I mean, that's, you know, uh, 
basically, uh, I grew up uh, in Dallas, Texas. My dad had a 16 millimeter movie camera and he was, you know, constantly kind of making home movies. I started playing with that movie camera when I was in high school. Uh, I was I played in rock bands and and uh, was kind of a musician, poet, folk singer sort of a character around school. Basically, when I went to the University of Texas in Austin, started out thinking I was going to be a doctor. One night, a friend of mine gave me some LSD and took me to see a movie called Juliet of the Spirits, uh, uh, that Fellini film. And when I saw the film and heard uh, Nina Rota's music, it changed something in me. And I realized that all my love of music and songwriting and my love of writing and my love of storytelling and, and sort of the, the fun of having a movie camera in your hand, I could turn that into a career and to a new direction in school. And so I kind of dropped out of pre-med and... Um, enrolled in the film department at University of Texas, along with my friend Daniel Pearl, who was a, kind of a genius cinematographer who ended up being the cinematographer on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, so that's kind of what happened. It was a, a good combination of drugs and uh, seeing Juliet of the Spirits, and then the next week seeing Bergman's Seventh Seal that just kind of sealed the deal and made me, you know, change my life. There you go, folks. A positive drug story. <laughs> yeah, 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 there are a few in the world. <laughs> On the note of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what does a location sound recorder do? Like, I mean, obviously you record sound on location, but that... <laughs> yeah, basically the my job was to uh, kind of work with the boom operator, who was the guy who's holding the, the microphone over the actors, uh, to, I was sitting at the at the Nagra, which was the sound recorder, uh, quarter inch sound recorder, in those days, uh, and giving him directions, working with him to make sure that he had all of the moves and the dialogue, so that he could pan the mic around to the right people, um, and then my job was to make sure it didn't uh, overmodulate and distort, and then to keep records of the. Uh, of each take and um, which were the good takes and what were the problems. And then uh, also when we did the scene in the van, uh, we had lavalier mics. Every character was mic'd and I was my job to kind of mix up and down the lavaliers according to the dialogue. So it was basically a very uh, technical job on that film. Nice. So yeah, cause when I read it, it's like location sound, uh, Recording, it's like, well, that isn't all recording done on location at some, I mean, well, the, in some way or another that's done at a location. <laughs> yeah, but then there's also the, the, you know, the sound mixers and the, the post, post-production post sound. So it's the way of kind of um, separating that from, from the sound work that goes on mm. after the editing. See, that's why I like doing these. I always learn something. I learned a little bit more about the uh, ins and outs of how the movies and just the the step-by-step -step production process. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. That's good to know. Before we get into all your movies and things, when I was looking into your movies, some names and things were popping up. It would appear that 
your family is in the movie business. Like, your wife, your son. I mean, it, it's become like a family business now to be in the movie business. It's always been a, um, like a, a film of nepot- uh, a career of nepotism. Uh, basically, my wife was really, uh, my ex-wife, uh, Sally, was the uh, caterer on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and she went on to be uh, an art department person. Uh, then my second wife, who's my current wife, Becky, uh, came out to Los Angeles about the same time I did on Roar, and I got her a job in the editing room with me. And um, then she went on to become a really great assistant editor that worked with me until she decided we shouldn't work together anymore. And then uh, she worked with an editor named Lee Percy for a number of years uh, on some really good films. Then our son, Alex, uh, is kind of a musician slash editor. And uh, yeah, he's edited some some work for Charlie Band uh, and directed a movie for Charlie called uh, Zombies versus Strippers or Strippers versus Zombies. I forget which. Um, so yeah, it's family business in some ways. And is there any relation to the Lucian Nicolau? Or is that just a convenient like coincidence? That was a coincidence. Uh, Lucian uh, was the the production designer on uh, the first subspecies, subspecies films. Yeah. And uh, turns out that Nicolau is, uh, my family is Greek, uh, and so hence the name Nicolau, but Nick, the name Nicolau is also a common Romanian name as well. See, because, yeah, that's looking at it, and I was like, I wonder, and I mean, you know, it, it, it could be a common name, but you never know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is common. That's, that's crazy, you have you know, I bet, bet you never thought you'd be working with uh, Nicolau that you weren't related to. That's for sure, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk subspecies. Okay. In the character Radu, the, well, in the movie in general, like, vampire lore was kind of turned on its ear. You have this, huh. you, you kind of have this vampire where you, you stick to a lot of the same basics of you know vampirism where you know okay blood and all that but one of the cool elements was his god i don't even know what they're called i i've always called them uh, fingerlings oh right the little subspecies those are that's the subspecies i think that's one of the coolest additions to <laughs> you know the lore where he can just make minions you know, that was a, uh, I have to admit, uh, even though I think it, it, it'll upset uh, the people who like the films, uh, that I was not a big fan of the little minions. Uh, and they seemed to me to, to kind of uh, kind of go at odds with the idea of the solitary vampire that, that everyone's used to. But... Um, when I when Charlie, you know, back in those days, the the way that Charlie would um, decide which movies to make was that he he would have post he would commission posters and artists would do these posters based on his kind of broad stroke ideas, and um, so the poster for subspecies was basically that image of Radu standing by while 
the little minions carried a girl off to the to his castle. And when I said, ah, Charlie, I'll do, I'd like to do this movie, but I hate the subspecies. Uh, he said, well, sorry, man, that's how I sold the movie was on the basis of the subspecies. <laughs> so uh, so the subspecies stayed. And, you know, uh, I'm not a big puppet sort of a person. So, uh, again, they're they're kind of just a technical exercise to make them work rather than working with people, which is a much more subtle and complicated affair. So the the subspecies remained and became a kind of beloved part of the stories. You know, I think the first subspecies, the budget was not really there to kind of integrate them perfectly into the, into the shots. Uh, so they're lacking shadows here and there, but I think by the sec, by subspecies two, uh, they, they were becoming much more kind of organic to the story. And, and because really in a Charlie band movie, the, Budgets are limited enough. You cannot go overboard with something like that's an effect like that. So, so they're they always are a little bit limited in their screen time. Well, but the well, funny thing is, when we were shooting subspecies, the originally the idea was to shoot um, forced perspective, build some gigantic sets, and put uh, actors in the demon suits and and shoot them live action like that um and so we built on the sound stages in bucharest the oversized throne and uh and dungeon room and uh some other elements and set pieces and an oversized bloodstone and shot actually did the shots with uh, forced perspective with the camera, like up on scaffolding way, way high above them uh, and did all the shots. But when Charlie saw the result, you know, we just looked at the scenes and went, holy crap, these look ridiculous because the stunt men were the, the subspecies turned out to be stunt men who were just like a little too overactive and the, the latex of their suits got so dirty from the grunge on the soundstage floor that they went from kind of pink flesh to black flesh, like in a matter of two or three takes. So we scrapped the whole idea and got uh, David Allen, the great stop motion animator to, to create the subspecies for us. Well, and that's, it's, it's actually kind of funny because when, when you go back and watch the first subspecies, Looking at when the subspecies come out, it's very reminiscent of, like, Jason and the Argonauts and uh, Clash of the Titans, you know. Huh, yeah. Very, you know, couple of Ray Harryhausen powerhouse movies. And then you look and you're like, oh, David Allen, you know, student of Ray Harryhausen. So it's... (laughs) You know, it, it, it's very fitting that it has that feel to it. And it just, it, it has that nice, you know, classic vibe in the stop motion animation feel to it. Yeah, and I think uh, even though the, the motion is a little strange, it uh, I think people love stop motion and and i understand why and it's and it's sort of awe inspiring and i was lucky enough to get to work with david allen on a 
on a couple of movies, and he did the work on a film of mine called uh, Dragon World that's not a horror film, but a kind of children's fantasy film. Uh, and he did a lot of the stop-motion animation for that. And uh, he was he was really, really an interesting, very strange, but uh, entertaining guy. Yeah, you've, you've kind of run the gambit on films. I mean, there's horror, there's kids, there's... <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Charlie went when uh, he was known for horror and science fiction films, but then when he started having kids uh, around the time of Empire, he and his wife kind of cooked up this idea to do uh, fantasy films for kids, and it was it was a good idea. And Paramount, who was releasing the films at the time, really liked it and gave us an opportunity to just kind of stretch our our uh, creative juices a little bit more and create these wonderful stories for kids. Yeah, it's funny when I was looking through your credits list, it's like, well, I actually forgot about those movies, like, you know, Leaping Leprechauns. And I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. People, I mean, you know, most, most people know the horror films and the, the kids films didn't get as wide a release or they they sort of their releases stopped when Charlie's deal with Paramount uh, ended, and so a lot of those films are just kind of stuck in Paramount's vaults, you know. But yeah, the Leap and Leprechauns movies those were really fun to do and involved a lot of forced perspective where the we'd put the actors kind of very far away from the foreground actors and create that sense of scale. Oh yeah. You, you've kind of become a, a staple at Full Moon. I mean, your name's almost synonymous as much as Charlie's is with Full Moon. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, I started out editing for Charlie, you know, in the very beginning, you know, after Roar. So like 1978 or so, I was editing uh, Tourist Trap that Charlie produced with some old Texas friends of mine, David... Uh, 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 David, David Schmoller. Yeah, David Schmoller. So, so uh, with some old um, Texas friends of mine, David Schmoller was the writer director, and uh, Larry Carroll the producer. So, I, I had a long history of editing with Charlie, and uh, he liked my editing, and then got me to edit a lot of his films before I finally got a chance to direct. So, I my name is on a lot of his directorial films, and then. Uh, you know, I, I, my name is pretty associated with that company, but I think, you know, really Stuart Gordon, uh, who did Reanimator and a lot of other great movies for Charlie. I think he, he was sort of the preeminent director there around, uh, Charlie's company in those days and a lot of other really good directors. So I can't take too much credit for being, uh, you know, when I, when I look at Charlie's poster of 200 films by the year 2000, there's, quite a few of my films on there but quite a few of other people's films as well see charlie is a very ambitious creator yeah yeah he i mean he was a visionary you know he's like uh after roger corman there's uh charlie band and charlie sort of was the first to to grasp the idea that that home video was going to be a big medium uh for films and a big way to release films and so he he really 
started that direct-to-video revolution back in the days of VCRs and VHS tapes. So, and then he uh, pivoted really nicely to the DVDs and, uh, you know, had and ran two or three uh, iterations of his company and kind of his ambitions always kind of got the better of him and, and he kind of reached too far and and everything would collapse and then he would rise up again. So I have to give it to him, you know, for being a visionary who really saw the future and also for a guy who whose ambitions sort of brought a lot of people a lot of work and a lot of uh, joy, you know. Well, when he seems to managed to stay right on the pulse of what the next big thing is because you're right it was for direct-to-video he was on it and then made the switch to dvd dvd to blu-ray and now full moon has its own streaming service where you can get the you know the full moon library yeah yeah and i and the and he's building up his library by you know uh, licensing movies outside of his own productions and and he's got a a pretty good thing going now with with his streaming channel and in a way it's a little bit sad because the ambitions of the earlier days where the budgets were higher and and the actors had a little more name value there was something uh much more kind of mainstream and legitimate about it and now it, he's struggling a little bit to to find the right balance between what you spend on a movie and what what you can make on the film. Um, so hopefully he's he's kind of coming to grips with that, and he's got big plans for next year too. I say he seems to. Unfortunately, he gets lumped into that uh, like cheese horror category a lot, and. Like, I don't mind it. I love campy horror. And the my favorite movie to come out was a full moon movie, and that was uh, Coronavirus Zombies. Oh, that's funny, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like I was hoping somebody was going to do something with it. And with his setup, he had the ability to do almost real-time movies. Yeah. And yeah. stay, you know, up to date with current topics, knock out a movie. And are, are they Hollywood blockbusters? No, but they are good. Like, and it's weird saying this about horror movies. They're good, feel good movies, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very funny because he, he is, it's like the perfect kind of setup for an exploitation filmmaker to be able to exploit current events. And because he's, I mean, he's been locked down. He's really not left his house uh, for much of anything throughout this whole period. But he has, he he has all of the people in place to work from their own homes. To from Billy Butler, who's I think writing and kind of assembling these stories. To um, to uh, Danny Draven, who edited it, and um, to my son Alex, who cuts the trailers for them. He, Charlie's able to because he the thing about Charlie is he he's always chosen to work with people that he knows and trusts and the more he trusts people the more work they get and so so and when you have that sort of a 
trust in your collaborators and in your production company. You know, you're able to work quick and and um, you know remotely as they're doing for these films. Well, and I also and I could be wrong, but he also seems to be the type to just kind of let the let loose the reins a little bit when he trusts you and you know let you do your thing. He's not like the micromanaging type. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely not a micromanager and because he loves movies so much that he you know, if it if it works pretty well, he's he's pretty well pleased and and you know, back in the earlier days his father Albert Band, who was an old, you know Hollywood old timer that went way back to working with uh, with uh, John Huston and, and and you know was was a legit kind of Hollywood figure. Uh, Albert was sort of the guy who would come to the cutting room and help people kind of trim trim down their films to the right length and and reorganize restructure here and there. So Albert was like Charlie's kind of eyes and ears on the production. Uh, Charlie has always had so much work to do, just selling the films and aligning, lining up the money and also trying to direct his own films that, that, you know, he needed somebody else to kind of deep deal with all the details. He has the right working formula. You know, I'm in charge. I'm going to delegate out. And at the end of the day, we're going to get, the right product and everyone's going to be happy. Yeah. As long as you kind of meet the criteria of the, of the full moon formula, which is, you know, a little bit sexy, a little, not too sexy, uh, a little bit of horror, but not too gruesome. Uh, a lot of fantasy and, and, um, you know, if it's a science fiction film, you know, some really good sci-fi. Uh, yeah. As long as you kind of are, are tuned into that, to the kind of Charlie way of presenting a story, then you you could have a lot of work there and and enjoy yourself a lot. It was a very really fun place to work. I I would imagine it seems like it's you know a, a, a fun place to work. I've gone to a couple like live screening events and it just it's a fun they, they put on a fun atmosphere. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I, I mean, could imagine that the, you know, working environment is, you know, just 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 as fun. Yeah, yeah, because there are plenty of assholes in power positions in Hollywood, and Charlie is not an asshole. He is a he is a guy who just loves to do what he's doing, and uh, and so the vibe at the company was great. The vibe at the Christmas parties was always really raucous and fun, and. Um, you know, he had gathered a whole lot of really cool, creative people together to to help him realize that vision. Speaking of sci-fi, you uh, directed a movie with two of Full Moon's biggest properties that wasn't in Full Moon. <laughs> Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. So it wasn't Full Moon at that time. That movie was done for sci-fi. Yeah, Charlie had had. Uh, yeah, Puppet Master was like one of his biggest franchises, and Demonic Toys was you know secondary but you know popular. And 
I think Charlie had promised Sci-Fi Channel uh, a version of Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys and somehow never delivered on it. Um, so he sold the rights to that idea to another company who, who was going to produce it for, uh, for the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, and it's sort of, he recommended me to direct it. For me, it was a period of time where I hadn't gotten any directing gigs for, you know, a couple of years. And so I was really hungry to do a film. Um, so I said yes to it, even though, like I told you before, my love of puppets and all of that is not very uh, loving. I don't like um, puppets, damn it. <laughs> I don't want puppets. I want to work with people. <laughs> you want to do Puppet Master? Well. <laughs> so uh, so uh, I, I got hired to do it. I took the script that had been written by Courtney Joyner and uh, revised it somewhat to kind of work for me. Um, and got sent to Bulgaria where this guy had a production company that had, had just finished two other films for the sci-fi channel. And, uh, and he cast Corey Feldman as the father and which was a historic piece of miscasting. Uh, and the producer, the line producer in Bulgaria was not really working toward helping the project was working toward, you know, saving all the money that he possibly could. So, uh, for me, it was not, uh, I was used to having a lot of freedom working for Charlie and suddenly, uh, the, the production was squeezed from every direction. The, the working in Bulgaria was not what I was used to in terms of working in Eastern Europe because I had done a lot of films in, in, uh, in Romania by that point. So it was a very trying and difficult production. Uh, and you know, it, it's maybe it's off canon somewhat for the, for the, uh, puppet master films. So, uh, I don't know, if there's if there's much love for that film out there in the world, I say it, it's definitely off kilter from the rest. Yeah, yeah. You you've definitely done a lot of overseas filming because I mean the first subspecies was filmed in it. It was Charlie's Castle, wasn't it? No, it was filmed in in Romania. Basically, uh, the a uh, 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 expatriate Romanian film producer uh, was living in Los Angeles and just after the revolution he decided he wanted to go back and do business in Bucharest again <laughs> and convinced Charlie that he could put a deal together where the Romanian film industry would pay for all the Romanian costs and if Charlie would just pay for the, the cast and the hotels and the post-production so uh, I think Charlie had a, had a script uh, for subspecies and he offered it to Stuart Gordon first and luckily Stuart turned it down. So he offered it to me next. And uh, basically because it was shooting in a completely new place, uh, we 
he sent me over there for a week to scout locations and, and uh, meet the people that would be involved with the production. So I went over there for a week and traveled around uh, Romania with the producer Jan Ionescu and with um, Vlad Pavonescu, who was uh, going to be the cinematographer, and his uh, girlfriend, who became his wife, uh, Juana, who was the brilliant costume designer of the films. Uh, and traveled all over Romania and saw incredible castles and uh, in beautiful churches and monasteries and mountainous regions where we could pretty much shoot freely what you know in all of these incredible locations and also the Romanian National Film Studio at Bufta which was pretty much closed down after the revolution and and just kind of sitting there but had uh, an amazing castle interior set and uh, uh, an incredible costume warehouse and a laboratory. So so uh, after that week of seeing the places that I could shoot, uh, I came back to Charlie and said, yeah, man, let's do it. And so that was that was the, the kind of genesis for that project. And uh, after the first subspecies was finished, Paramount liked it so much that they wanted a sequel to it and so we did the two sequels and called Vlad Paunescu and had him come to the States and basically set up the studio over there uh, that is now Castell Film Studios and like one of the biggest film studios in Eastern Europe. So yeah, I mean the the scenery is just gorgeous. Yeah, that those movies are benefit so much from the from being able to shoot on location. And, and I, I'm afraid that maybe uh, the churches kind of got wise to the, to the shooting of vampire movies in the Orthodox churches there. And so after, after, you know, subspecies three, it became much more difficult to shoot in the in <laughs> Romanian churches. Uh, sadly. No vampires for you. Yeah, yeah, there it was. I mean, you know, but but honestly, we were able to shoot anywhere and in graveyards. You could always find somebody who would had the key. the The man with the key is sort of the the person you have to find anywhere in Romania because there's always the man with the key who can get you into anywhere. And so we could go down and shoot in crypts, and you know, it was just. Uh, an incredible experience. So the trick shooting movies in Romania is finding the gatekeeper. The man with the key, man. It's it is truly the guy. Yeah, because awesome sound stages, you know, the prop warehouses. The man with the key is the man who can get you in. So, is there any word or movement on subspecies five? Uh, subspecies five, uh, basically we have a script, uh, Honest Hove and Denise Duff are eager to, to do it. Uh, we have a deal with a production company in Serbia now because uh, Romania has gotten so popular and too expensive for us. Um, and we were going to shoot it last autumn or God knows when, like last springtime even. But uh, with COVID, now we're just kind of waiting for 
COVID to kind of uh, ease off so that it's safe enough for us to travel there and shoot it. Uh, and then we'll shoot it hopefully sometime uh, by summer of 2021. Isn't that a kick in the head? You kind of build the film business in Romania and they're like, nope, too expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot of uh, whole lot of politics involved, and you know, and most of it between Charlie and and uh, Castell Film Studios. Uh, for me, I'm kind of like friends with everybody, and uh, <laughs> the people at Castell, you know, we're we're family. Uh, but you know, it is more expensive, and and you know, full moon movies are cheaper now than ever before. Yeah. So. That's kind of where we're at. Say mm, la vie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm always up for a new, uh, a new kind of experience in a new country. Other than uh, subspecies five, when everything clears up, do you have any other projects that you have in the uh, works? Or oh yeah, I've got like no end of pro of projects. I've got a project uh, based on uh, uh, Carmilla, the the vampire story that that came like 25 years before Dracula, uh, about uh, a female vampire um, that I'm working with a producer in Rome named Roberto Bessi, who's, who's worked on a lot of my movies. We're trying to place that at some point, uh, you know, but COVID has gotten in the way of all of that. I have a supernatural shocker that's set in Caddo Lake in Texas uh, that um, I have a producer trying to raise the money for, but, you know, COVID has kind of put that to rest for a while. And Charlie has uh, got me doing a script for a new series of kind of uh, short story horror films that um, that he's going to stream next year on his uh, on his streaming channel. So I'm working on one of those right now. You know, I got to say, out of all of those, the ones that sound the most interesting is the vampire older than Dracula. Yeah, yeah. It's a really cool story, and um, I'm hoping, you know, it's like an adaptation of a, of a gothic kind of story. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, if we can get that made, it would be truly spectacular. That's awesome. So where can uh, listeners keep up with things you're doing on like social media and websites, stuff like that. Uh, there's Ted Nicolau, uh, Instagram and there's Ted Nicolau on Facebook. Uh, those are my, those, that's where I am. Look for the porn star tiger. Yeah. Look for that porn star tiger. Shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the true tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> really, man. Uh, I'll have those links in the description and cool. you guys can find me and other great podcasters on electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Ted, this was a blast. Moose, it was fun talking to you, man. Good luck. And you get these other projects out. I'll have you on again. We'll promote and chat more about those. And hell, have you on again. Dig deeper into your uh, vast movies. Yeah, there's a lot more to say. A lot more to talk about. Yeah, yeah I mean, we barely scratched the surface. <laughs> okay man anytime alrighty until next time horror hounds mash on take care you guys stay safe
Mrs. Benus's monster badge. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>